Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today are Dr. Jim Lewis, the Director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and retired United States Navy Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, the Senior Director of the Center on Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. He is also a senior advisor on the Bipartisan uh, Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to what is a special program, our mid-year review, sort of a recap on where we've uh, been and uh, what uh, where we've been tells us about where we're going in the world of cyber. Thanks so very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Vago. Uh, and a pleasure having both of you on. And before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo VRS. Fortress Information Security, as I mentioned, sponsors uh, our weekly cyber report. And Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, ultra intelligence and communications, sponsors our command and control coverage. And we are a Farnborough International Airshow media partner. And our coverage of Britain's leading airshow is sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. Uh, guys, thanks very much uh, for uh, joining uh, us again. Uh, and let me start with you, Jim. Um, you know, both of you are, have been very, very kind, spend uh, a lot of time with us uh, to talk about all manner of uh, cyber issues from a strategic uh, perspective. And we thought this is a good opportunity on some key areas, uh, cyber. Uh, yesterday, we heard uh, from uh, Chris uh, Cavus and Chris Cervello. Uh, we did a recap on Navy because it's been an action-packed Navy year. Uh, and on tomorrow's program, Dr. Patrick Cronin of the Hudson Institute and Randy Shriver of Project 2049 will join us to, to talk about Taiwan. Um, Jim, give, give us your sense. I mean, right, everybody has a tendency of talking about, um, you know, sort of the, the biggest headlines, right? The, the Russia's war on Ukraine, uh, you know, what the Chinese are up to in malicious activity. But as you look over the course of uh, the last six months, what are, what are sort of the most interesting uh, developments that you think will most shape where we're going to be going in the next six months and beyond? Thanks, Vago. I'll just pick three and then wait to hear what Mark has to say. But first, a, a lot of activity on the Hill. Uh, so far, most of it hasn't come to fruition. So hopefully, you know, by the end of this Congress, we'll see some bills pass and get signed. Uh, we can talk about the individual bills later on. The second thing is that Ukraine uh, did an impressive job at defending itself in cyberspace with a lot of help, but it's an indicator of what can be done that suggests, for me at least, that you know, offense doesn't have to have the advantage automatically. There's things you can do, and it involves assistance and training and workforce and continuous monitoring and uh, moving stuff to the cloud. So Ukraine's a good lesson in how to defend yourself. And the third one is the Chinese have gotten better at influence operations. So I think that, you know, a few years ago, if you'd asked me, I would have made fun of them. Um, they've actually gotten better. They're sort of figuring out what to do. So, uh, you know, I know we're talking about the Hill, but um, lots of bills uh, at the end of the year, there were, I forget, over a hundred bills. And hopefully a few of them will make it to the finish line. Just to um, drive that ball a little bit forward, are you talking about influence operations in terms of sort of more sophisticated cyber campaigns or as the director of national intelligence in his uh, circular last week sort of pointed out, hey, you know, even as we improve uh, our, our uh, pr uh, awareness and safeguards at a national level from Chinese uh, influence operations, 
state and local authorities should be much more concerned because that's where the, the activity is shifting. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about more sort of concerted cyber operations writ large? No, I think it's the one of the signs of Chinese success is they've shifted to uh, easier targets uh, when it comes to influence. And of course, Australia is sort of their guinea pig for a lot of this. If you look at what's happened, the Chinese have tried in Australia. But um, cyber's part of this. I mean, they uh, we aren't quite sure, but the, they use the material they get from hacking. They use social media networks. Uh, so this is a, for me, this falls into the category of cyber. It's not like you have Chinese with a sandwich board standing on the street corner saying vote for Xi Jinping, <laughs> um, but you do have them online. That was that was great, and I'm just imagining uh, imagining that uh, for for a second. And and in some parts of the country, it could actually go well. Who knows, uh, Mark? Um, you know your your sense, and we can get into the legislative specifics. But as you look at the whole panoply of 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 things that have happened over the course of the year, what are what do you think uh, the the most consequential ones uh, that are going to be the most needle moving going forward from your perspective, what, whether on the defensive side of things and our response, or whether on the offensive side, what folks are doing to us that, that are now increasingly public when they happen. Uh, thanks. First, I, I agree with everything Jim said, and it's a real pleasure to be here with him and, and with you, Vago. Um, I'll start by a, a riff on something he mentioned on Ukraine, and I know you probably don't want us to talk too much about Ukraine, but I'll say Ukraine was a good study in the cyber capacity building. So the efforts, uh, the United States, both at USAID state, but also at Cyber Command in helping Ukraine uh, post their 20, uh, post NotPetya and really the 2015-2016 um, electrical power grid attacks. And, and the EU helped as well, the European Commission helped as well, and some independent European uh, nations came in and helped them. But really a good job in cyber capacity and the lessons we can draw on that for Lithuania, Taiwan, Georgia, other beleaguered democracies are gonna, that are going to be attacked by an authoritarian, uh, potentially through cyberspace. So cyber capacity building. The second one is uh, agreeing with Jim completely on the on the legislation that's up. I also would commend the uh, the uh, what we're seeing in the appropriations, both in the president's budget submission, but also in what Congress authorized in 2022, and what we can see in their improvements to the president's 23 budget already. Definite increases in the right areas in cyber. Um, and, and that's critical, uh, you know, going forward, it, you know, cyber is a, it's a new mission that very few federal agencies stood down something, you know, they didn't have like an, an analog data review program, right? You know, the cyber has come online, you have to protect it, nothing went away. Um, you have to add money into the coffers to do that. And you're really starting to see that. And the, and the third one I would add is kind of disappointment on disinformation. Um, it, you know, whether it's Russia or China, we can definitely see foreign disinformation is really stepping up. Um, and, you know, the Russians, the latest thing is this whole bio lab. You know, they've resurrected the, you know, our, the, the clinics we built. I did some of this work in Ukraine back in 2012, 2013, agreements to build veterinary clinics, you know, in order to, to prevent mad cow and other diseases from spreading. We put in facilities that could hold the right test equipment to see if there was some kind of significant illness. And the Russians are conflating these with bio labs and it's typical. But my disappointment here in disinformation is that while we saw it, I would say the administration's efforts in setting up the disinformation board and, and not trying to find a third party to do this. I, I'm And then just 
not really emphasizing the foreign nature of a lot of this, which could have kept a slightly more um, nonpartisan or bipartisan hue to it. I think they probably missed a pretty good opportunity and they've made it hard to re-attack on this for at least a year or two. So I'm disappointed in that because we needed what the, what the, the administration was right in its inclination, probably wrong in its execution. Uh, but, you know, I know uh, Nina uh, Jankowicz, who uh, was uh, from the Wilson uh, Center, wrote extensively, has been studying disinformation law. You know, I mean, she was studying it well before it became sort of a salon topic in 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 Washington. Jim, I mean, was this the wrong person at the wrong time? Was the administration caught on the wrong side of rhetoric on this? And um, and I, I don't want to necessarily spend too much time on that. But obviously what we're talking about is information, disinformation. Um, and misinformation uh, here. Somebody told me it's a bad idea to go on to uh, Twitter and lip sync videos making fun of uh, uh, the other party if you if you want to get confirmed. So I think that's that's the, for, that should be the lesson that people get out of this is, um, you know, what you do on social media is a, a eternal record. We've been saying that to our kids, and now we need to think about it ourselves. So. Um, I'm not, you know, I agree with Mark. Uh, it would have been better to kick this to some external body uh, rather than try and park it at DHS. And um, that might've taken a little more work. It might've taken a little more uh, congressional uh, support, but it probably would have eased some of the bumps. And now of course, uh, Secretary Chertoff has been handed this. I'm a little surprised he took the job, but good for him. Let's see what we get. Um, and 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 he really is somebody who um, has thought, uh, written, uh, and worked very thoughtfully uh, in this field. I know that um, um, you know, having had conversations with him about the topic some years ago, um, and and is seen uh, as uh, a very very thoughtful uh, and indeed bipartisan. Right? Nobody thinks of M Michael Chertoff as a partisan. Uh, Mark, uh, your your sense. No, I agree. I agree with Jim. And in fact, that's the commission recommended that a uh, it's tough for the government to be arbiter of truth, because if you if you're not of the party these days, probably not 30 years ago. But today, if you're not of the party of the government of the executive branch, then you're it's hard for you to believe that they should be the arbiter of truth. Um, so you find a third party organization, FFRDC. We have a ton of, of extensively boring institutions in Washington that could, have, could, they could have taken this on. And I think, and also I would have put the word foreign at least once a paragraph in my description of it in talking about foreign disinformation because one party is much more concerned about foreign disinformation than the other. Right or wrong, that's a great, you know, that does help you kind of remind people that, what a, a large part of what's being done is to us is being done by Russia and China, and it's increasingly effective. And uh, and I think the the Chinese are gonna are getting better at it. And, th and this is going to be a real problem for us because we're we're an open society. We're vulnerable to this, and because we have strong First Amendment uh, rules, you know, we're going to remain vulnerable to it. So an, a uh, a non governmental organization running this would have been better. And, and I just, and I'll agree also on the watch what you say on Twitter. I, just very quickly though, how do you address the domestic disinformation part of this, right? Um, a large part of the electorate has been convinced or become convinced that the 2020 election was um, faulty, uh, inaccurate. Um, and 
And it, it's so much so that the disinformation now is prompting members that know better uh, and other politicians across the entire uh, spectrum to not push against that, right? So Jim, maybe if you can start us off, and then I do want to get into some of the other technical matters, right? I mean, how do you address that part of the challenge when, yes, the foreign part is very, very important, as you mentioned, right? These foreign powers are trying to shape us. On the other hand, it only works if you also sort of buy into some of these narratives and just repeat them. Um, you know, there's been a very anti-Ukrainian strain, for example, in some parts of the American uh, media. Um, you know, just just get both of your senses on how you address the domestic part of it and then get, I, I've got a couple of other technical uh, and legislative questions. Go ahead, Jim. Well, you've got, you, this is a, a bigger problem because uh, social media uh, accelerates uh, what used to be, you know, sort of below the surface uh, rumors, right? And so the the disinform what we disinformation is in the eye of the beholder, but you've got uh, uh, a general decline in uh, in the standards of this. And in some ways, it goes back. It, we we've made all these decisions uh, over the years for things that we thought would increase uh, democracy, and some of them turned out to have been a mistake. Uh, so. Um, you know, if you remember the FCC fairness doctrine, uh, where if you were a broadcaster, uh, you know, if you if you said D, you had to say R or vice versa, and getting rid of the fairness doctrine is is indicative of a larger issue we have as a country that um, you know we've allowed this sort of hyperpartisan uh, debate to go beyond what it would have gone to anyhow. Uh, so that's. How you deal with that? I mean, the Supreme Court said, um, "Lo and behold, I think it was—I think it was 70 years ago—that the government shouldn't intrude in these decisions; that it should rely on the marketplace of ideas." And the the problem with social media is it's more like the 7-Eleven of ideas, and that's actually an insult to 7-Eleven. So I apologize. The marketplace of ideas doesn't work anymore, right? So we haven't figured out how to deal with that. And we've gotten rid of fairness in our discourse. That was probably a mistake. Um, I, I agree with you. I think the fairness doctrine uh, was uh, important. And I think uh, scrapping it a little bit like Glass-Steagall, right? You don't realize what you've lost until, uh, until you've lost it. Mark, um, your sense <laughs> on this. And, and then I do want to get to the legislative uh, agenda and what, where we've been tells us about where we're, we're going to be going. No, well, I agree completely that there's a, significant domestic disinformation problem and and to make it worse good smart foreign disinformation feeds it on top of that so it's a double whammy um so we do have to deal with both of them and, and i'm just saying that when you're selling it it's a little easier to sell when you're emphasizing the foreign end that's all um uh let's uh go to uh where we are going um, both where we're going and where we should be going, and what are the other things we should we should be tackling. Uh, Jim, uh, start us off. Right, lawmakers do get a lot of credit; they, they are moving the needle. Uh, you both have been joining us regularly enough, uh, where uh, we've seen the progress of the administration and how fast it's uh, moving. Uh, we've seen how lawmakers are moving. So now, you know, it's it's not just Mike Gallagher and Angus King and Jim Langevin. There are others now, uh, right, who are, you know, talking more, uh, and or at least these guys are driving the agenda, and and their fellow members are going along with it. Jim, sort of. 
um, you know, sort of where are we, where are we going this year? Where should we be going through the rest of the year? What are the other things that we still need to tackle? Well, we, we actually need to actually pass legislation. <clears throat> it used to be said that the NDAA, the Defense Authorization Act, <clears throat> was sort of the bill of last resort because it would always get passed. And um, even that's beginning to crumble a little bit. So the first thing I'd say is apparent unanimity in Congress on the importance of cybersecurity. A lot of bills introduced, there were over, uh, over 150 at the end of the last calendar year. Um, but what counts is how many get to the finish line, which is out of both houses into the president's desk. And there's some important stuff. Uh, I'd personally like to see uh, Congressman Langevin's uh, Bureau of Cyber Statistics move forward um, because that would make my life a lot easier. I wouldn't have to go out scrounging for these numbers all the time. You know, the, the fundamental issue is still one we've wrestled with from the start, which is what should be mandatory and what should be voluntary. And I think it's gonna take uh, another Congress or two to resolve that, but lots of interest, lots of support. Uh, maybe they can actually pass something that would be good. Mark, uh, you're in the thick of this uh, as uh, the senior or one of the senior advisors uh, to the Solarium, uh, Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Um, where are we going? Where should we be going? So thanks. And, and of course, we're now the 2.0 version, the uh, non-governmental organization is, is the commission itself sunsetted. And, and I'll tell you, I, I think we have leftover business from there. Uh, Jim mentioned the Bureau of Cyber Statistics. I, I agree with that. I think we'd have to call it an office of cyber statistics just because everything else says is a bureau and we're getting pushback. But I, I'm hoping that can happen. Um, it will get watered down on the version that we're working right now, but I, I think we'll get it there. To me, the big thing is getting is forcing the discussion on what is truly, you know, important critical infrastructure. We call it systemically important critical infrastructure. I think um, Jen Easley now calls it priority systemically important entities, which is Pisces. Um, so you know, it has a, that's a better sounding acronym, although a, a current acronym in CISA for something else, so they'll have to figure that out. But the idea is how, what, how do you identify what are those really critical assets that impact whose loss would impact or degradation would impact national security, economic viability, public health and safety. And those are the ones that we have to have a much tighter compact with. And that this is hard. Jim's absolutely right. There's a lot of unanimity on cybersecurity. Uh, where it tends to break down is when you really get to the nuts and bolts of telling industry you may have to do this or offering industry liability for doing that. So on both the R side and the D side, you get a little bit of verklempt right near the end game. But we've got to get some of these across the finish line. And again, along with the, his uh, Bureau of Cyber Statistics, Jim Langevin is pushing a systemically important infrastructure bill. Uh, I think he, he's hoping to get John Katko along for the ride. They've worked together in the past. Obviously, Mike Gallagher will be there and others. But you know, we really do need to, to determine what is critical and have a rule set for it. And, and this, so this is taking something that started in the Obama administration under EO13636 and really making it uh, more of a binding compact uh, between those critical infrastructure, those systemically important critical infrastructures and the US government. Jim? No, that's exactly right. I think Mark's uh, nailed it is, you know, um, the 
there's just there's a lot in play and that's a good sign but we've actually got to bring some of like sing of it bring some of it to the finish line um where's fisma reform you know uh where is this uh, i guess you have to call it an office of statistics that would be great cyber statistics we have a lot of stuff in play and now it's you know as we get to the finish line and it's always tough in an election year as, as everyone in your audience knows is that uh congress is about to uh you know, go off to run campaigns. That's important. Uh, will they pick a lot of this up when they come back for the lame duck? Uh, I hope so, because it would be good to get some of these bills done. You know, and Vago, let me pick back up on, on so that Jim reminded me that there's one other, th- there's there's one other big one of, uh, in fact, I think if we had Jim Langevin on, he'd say my biggest one, it's got a new longer name that I can't pronounce, but I'll call it the Joint Collaborative Environment. And he recognizes that Jen Isherly's done a great job setting up the JCDC, the Joint Collaborative, the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, but it doesn't have infrastructure inside it for, for you know, for speed of data information transmission. In other words, this part, this is her vision of the partnership between the private sector and the government. But right now, I think it's fair to call it a Slack channel, and not speed of data information transfer. And to get that. They need some infrastructure authorized and then appropriated. And I think Jim Langevin is trying to deliver that to them. He'll have trouble. They'll be not from CISA and not from Republicans or Democrats, but from committee parochialism where they're like, this sounds like we're really putting CISA in charge. And my answer to that is, yes, we have already really put CISA in charge. And, you know, having commanded large organizations in the military, I generally found one commander is the correct number, right? Uh, not seven or 10 or 17. And and look, there's committees that don't like that. Energy committees don't like it uh, particularly, but there's some, the commerce committees don't like it. But in the end, judiciary committees don't like it. In the end, I think it needs to be, I know it needs to be CISA. And I, we have, and if that, it will be extremely disappointing if that committee parochialism is what uh, kneecaps this final effort by Jim Lanchman because he deserves better than that. Hey, hey, Mark, do you think we're moving in that direction? I mean, when I compare it to where we were, say, five years ago, you know, usually one of my tests for does someone know what they're talking about is do they say we should rationalize the committee structure on the Hill? If they say that, it means they're they're not. But it looks like people are moving towards some sort of some sort of consensus on your point, which is we need one one person in charge, not twelve. I, I hope. I guess what I'd say is I, I, you're you're correct that it's better than five years ago for sure. But there's like the last stand of the tin can sailors. You know, there's one stubborn, you know, ship commander that's going to drive his way through the Japanese battle group, uh, you know, so to speak. Uh, and uh, so I am a little bit worried. And the way you said it at the beginning, the NDA, you know, when it's it is a fantastic piece of uh, legislation if you have complete agreement. But the, 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 the handicap to it is in the very end game, you need the ranking and chairman of six or eight committees in the House and Senate. So I just said a number between 24 and 36 have to kind of give a thumbs up at the last minute. And that's a lot of people to have understood you know, the, 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 right, the right answer. And so I, I, I hope we get there. Uh, he did something good by getting it in the markup. That makes it a little bit easier to get done by trying to floor men things in. 
Uh, but uh, to me, this is the this is that hard point. It's building the it's authorizing the infrastructure so the appropriators can hang dollars on it, and we can actually have um, the government can provide a good product to the private sector because I think the private sector kind of has a show me attitude right now. Like you've told me for twenty years, now show me. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you happy where uh, the authorizers uh, are uh, in the House on the budget? I mean, the appropriators. The uh, so, so what I'd say on the appropriators, I was very impressed. They, um, you know, you could have guessed this, right? The they they at the last minute, you know, two weeks before the president's budget dropped, they put out a twenty-two budget of two point five nine billion. President's budget drops to two point five two billion. And, uh, you know, and, and the president's even saying, well, it's a $400 million increase over our last request. And, you know, critics would say it's an $80 million decrease from the congressional authorization. You kind of have to have a master's degree appropriations knowledge to go, no, 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 no. One of them was written before the other one was done. And so as you bring it together and you fit and you and you filled out the base of the fiscal year 22 appropriators budget and then laid on the new growth the president wanted and the new growth Congress wanted, I think we predicted a $3 billion budget. In the end, it was about $2.93 billion. John Katko would tell you it needs to be $5 billion. I think he's being aspirational. But, you know, uh, I think they got it about right. I think the president got it about right. And then given the changes, you know, the natural, the thing I mentioned there, the unusual, unusual nature of it, I think Congress, at least the House version, has it about right. And I'll bet the Senate comes in around $2.9 to $3 billion, And that's what we end up at because that's CESA does still need to be growing to meet all the requirements that either law or executive order have placed on them over the last, you know, 24 to 36 months. Uh, lightning round, uh, Jim. I mean, you you guys lauded uh, Chairman Langevin, and obviously uh, he's a visionary. He was one of the people proponing, uh, along with uh, Mike Gallagher uh, and Angus King, about a consolidation of committee structure. Uh, and right uh, to your point, uh, Mark, right, uh, you need one throat to choke. And we uh, did that uh, with Chris Inglis as the national uh, cyber director. Uh, and obviously, you need the legislative side to be going along with that. Uh, any progress, Jim and, uh, and Mark, give us your sense as well, that lawmakers are going to cede uh, authority because it's some 60 committees now and subcommittees that touch cyber in one way or another. There is no not even remotely a throat to choke. There are many throats to choke. Some of them are very, very good, but it's still too much authority strewn over too large a piece about something that is really important. Jim? Well, Mark, Mark knows this better than me, but it's a leadership question. And I don't mean in the sense of leadership as a guy. I mean, it's, a, it's Senate leadership, it's House leadership. So the current leadership um, probably is not gonna do it, right? because they're going to ask reasonably, uh, what do I get from uh, annoying a lot of members? So it's really the next the next Congress, whoever gets it, it's most likely to be McConnell. Is this on McConnell's agenda? I don't think so, but I don't know. So my lightning round answer is complete agreement, no. And, and, not, and I would say, I would take no out to where there's a real crisis and the burning ember of blame, you know, who is pointed at Congress, then they might, you know, then you get the church commission effect and you might get some change. I honestly think you need that. And I think if you put Jim Langevin and Angus King under polygraph, they'd probably say they know that too. Gentlemen, uh, thanks very much. Uh, really appreciate always uh, three, two, one. Let me do that again. 
Gentlemen, thanks very much. Always a pleasure having you uh, guys on the program, uh, whether individually or together. Uh, really appreciate it and look forward to having you both on uh, again soon. Thanks so very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Vago.